0: Hey, I'm Brett Larkin and welcome to the Yoga Hacks podcast, where we make yoga so much more than just something we do on a mat. We're talking hacky ways to stretch and feel good in our daily lives, using yoga philosophy to solve everyday problems. Ultimately, this is about you wanting to live your best life and feel amazing in your body, using yoga and meditation as a tool. It's time to get creative, time to have fun, and remember, you can always be stretching, you can always be centered, you can always feel great in your body. Let's jump in to this week's episode. All right, so today I'm here, and I'm really excited to be having as a guest on the Yoga Hacks podcast, Lucas from Yoga Body Naturals, and I'm going to let Lucas introduce himself, but I often get questions about being inverted, about acro yoga, aerial yoga, and Lucas is really, this is his sphere. Um, Lucas, tell us a little bit about yourself, and welcome. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Brett. I really appreciate it. So yeah, for everyone listening, my name is Lucas Rockwood and I'm a yoga teacher and a teacher trainer and I also do a lot of other things with yoga primarily products and services and uh, we have a very large teacher training school in Thailand called Absolute Yoga Academy and then here where I live in Spain we have yoga body studios which are physical studios but probably most people in the U.S. know us best for our yoga trapeze which is our inversion device that you alluded to and here in Spain we have group classes but uh, we have students using them both recreationally in their home, and also professionally in studios all around the world. So yeah, at any given time, I'm either teaching or coordinating a teacher training course, working with manufacturers to get our products around the world, and trying to help students improve their practice.
0: Or being upside down, right?
1: (laughs) Being being upside down, yeah, whenever I can, whenever I can.
0: Yeah, so I got connected with Lucas through the Yoga Trapeze, and we're going to talk a lot about that a little bit later on. But I'm really excited to just have you break down for our audience and for me too a couple things. I mean, what are, I want to go over the big benefits of being upside down because being inverted has been, you know, it's a part of the Ashtanga traditional practice um and you know it's something that some students may be curious about some students are already you know very comfortably doing headstands and handstands and all that kind of thing so i think covering you know the benefits of how these inversions really help our bodies is going to be great but before we even dive into that i was hoping we could just talk a little bit about all the different types of yoga because i know i get a lot of questions and i don't know if you do too lucas where people are asking me you know, like what's aerial yoga compared to acro yoga compared to something like the yoga trapeze compared to you know gyms in the u.s here like equinox and crunch they often have classes that are advertised as sort of aerial yoga so can you kind of break down sort of what these different schools are (laughs) because there's just there's a lot
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. What happens as yoga gets more and more popular, a lot of the semantics get a little confusing. And so, you know, maybe 15 years ago, if you went to a power yoga class that was usually like a Baron Baptiste or a Brian Kess style, but these days a power yoga class could be anything. And the same has kind of happened with uh, inversion devices. So if you kind of trace back where prop-supported inversions came from, you usually, almost all roads lead you back to 1960s, 1970s, Iyengar hanging from rope walls, essentially. And they would hang from rope walls in their studios, and people still do this to this day, and they would use some kind of padding, either a pad or a blanket or a towel to keep the rope from digging into their hips, and they would hang upside down, usually with their legs crossed to decompress the spine. So that's kind of the origins of the practice. Over the years, People have started manufacturing all kinds of different things to make this a little bit more easy, a little bit more comfortable, and then also to make it a little bit more versatile. So, in a traditional yangar rope wall, you just hang there, which is actually amazing. But um, practicing on the on a yoga inversion device is really, really great too. And so, usually, what people are referring to when they're talking about aerial yoga or yoga trapeze or yoga swings, there's lots of different names out there, but there's essentially just two different styles for the most part. I'm sure there's some. That that I don't know about, but um, one of them is uh, very similar to what is usually called aerial silks, which you'll see if you ever go to a Cirque du Soleil performance, where people are flying from the sky, rolled up in red cloth, and they do all kinds of things on that. Um, And so, uh, the, a lot of aerial yoga is that, where you have this silk and it forms a hammock, and in the hammock you do a lot of different things. The challenge with that is it's quite a challenging practice. It requires quite a bit of upper body strength, and it's very dancey. So it's not very beginner-friendly. It's an awesome practice. Don't get me wrong. I think yeah, it's Yeah, I'm going to interject
0: a quick moment because I yeah. went to a class like that, actually. Sure. Sure. Um, and it was really cool. My favorite pose was like the little cocoon thing at the end or you just get yeah. to curl up in a little ball and swing. That was definitely my, my favorite. But I do remember that I loved the the class and it had this silk hammock hanging from the ceiling. But I was really shocked at how much upper body strength and how much core strength will, was required. I mean, it was a fantastic core workout. But it was a little bit of a shock for me at just how, yeah, like you're saying, not accessible a lot of the poses really were for a beginner or someone who's, you know, newer to yoga, doesn't have that crazy upper body strength where they're a rock climber or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) so. Yeah, so it's a it's a really great practice and a really great class and some really great people are teaching it. Um, for for me, my focus always in my whole yoga career has always been very much beginner centric. And so, eighty percent of the people who walk through our studio doors and eighty percent of the people we work with are just starting their yoga journey. And I find that's a pretty intimidating place to start. That said, it's a pretty cool place to end up. So for those of you listening who maybe feel like, hey, you know, I've been doing yoga for a long time, I feel really strong, might be an interesting thing to try. And but tell me the other, what you
0: call that yeah. part again.
1: Uh, uh, people call it different things. People call it Aria Yoga. I mean, they have all kinds of different names. Oops. Anti-gravity names—they call it yoga fly. They call it all kinds of different things. So. Okay, but the big um, differentiator
0: is the silks—the the, the hammock yeah. shape—and that's helpful for yeah. me. To even it's
1: like, yeah, sort of the hammock. Yeah, aerial silks. People will call it. They, they, there's really a lot of different uh, different names for it. But um, and then the other devices, which uh, have become more popular in recent years, are are essentially the same idea, except the hammock is smaller, so you can't do like a a full cocoon like you could in a silk. Um, you can sit in it like a hammock but it's a pretty pretty small fitting hammock but you have three handles on either side and those handles You can think of them kind of like a TRX, but uh, with fixed lengths. And what that allows you to do is get in and out easier and it allows you to do a lot more variations, especially for a beginner. An advanced student on aerial silks could probably do a lot more. But for a beginning student, intermediate student, you can do a lot more with those handles, things like inverted dips, uh, things like we call it the flying spider and we have jackknife, we have all these kind of silly names for these poses. But um, those handles allow you to do a lot of different grip variations and maneuver yourself safely in and out of poses, and so those are those are kind of the two big differences in terms of acro yoga. Generally, a brand name that's associated with partner yoga. There's an acro yoga school, and it's a it's a trademark name, and they do really advanced and also beginner-friendly partner yoga, which is a, a really cool organization with with really great teachers.
0: Yeah, so that's one distinction I wanted to kind of help make for our listeners, and I, I did know this distinction. Um, But just to help really make it clear for everyone else that when we talk about acro yoga, that's partner yoga, right? So two people who aren't necessarily hanging from the ceiling or anything, they're just doing poses together, Um, you know, supporting one person, supporting the other with their legs while the other kind of flies is the the really traditional pose, which you might have done as a kid with your parents. Um, I definitely did. So that's really acro yoga, which is different from um, you know hanging from something on the ceiling by yourself. And so, kind of, where does the yoga trapeze, your product, fit into kind of the different things you told us about? Is it sort of part of that second category?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the yoga trapeze, and it's very much uh, an at-home fitness device, although more and more it's used professionally. So in both of my studios, we have group led classes. We have ceiling anchor mounts. So we'll have, you know, 16 to 25 and that's a lot of fun as well. But, uh, yeah, we have, so there's, there's three handles on either side and then a, a main sling. And from that we have both fixed sequences and freestyle sequences that we teach on the yoga trapeze. And, um, I'm a huge fan, obviously, but uh, whatever whatever works for people. And we have some students who, you know, they rig up their own inversion device on a wall at home, and I think that's a great option, too. Just getting upside down is such a great great thing to do.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect segue for what I'm so excited to talk about next, which is really letting people know these benefits of being upside down and why this can be such a powerful part of your practice and your transformation. So I have definitely some things I'm excited to share, things I think I know, but I know you're really the expert in this category. So um, you know, I don't know if you want to kick us off with some of the the benefits of being upside down and and why this has been such an important part of the yoga practice since really the beginning.
1: Sure. I mean, one of the big benefits is kind of People just feel good and feel empowered and have fun doing it. We'll talk about the the specific quantifiable benefits. But people, it's just kind of a feel good practice. People like, they really genuinely like to go upside down. It tends to change your mood really quickly. Not necessarily something that you can explain why that happens, but it's pretty universally reported by students. In terms of what it does, in terms of the actual body itself, uh, probably the most powerful benefit is the decompression of your spine. If you talk to a chiropractor or an osteopath, and they show you anatomical drawings of what happens when you sit, sitting is just you know they say sitting is the new smoking, and I you know I think that might be a little bit of an exaggeration but not by much that the pressure that's exerted right on L4, L5, S1 in your spine is tremendous. And it's more when you're sitting than when you're doing anything else. So most of us are sitting in a slightly hunched over position most of the day typing away at computers that are propped up in our lap. And it's just a terrible thing for your spine. So many, many of our students just report that you know just being able to hang freely from your hips and allow your spine to naturally decompress and you know if you look at if you think of a spinal skeleton everyone's seen one of these at some point if you look at those those vertebral discs and you imagine hanging upside down it's literally just allowing gravity to lengthen decompress and create more space there and for some people this can just be absolutely a miracle in terms of relieving Back tension, and in some cases, even chronic back pain. Their daily upside down practice can really be tremendous. In terms of other benefits that people experience, uh, you know, obviously, reversing the blood pressure in your body has very interesting uh, circulatory benefits, meaning bringing blood to new areas with more pressure or less pressure than before. And again, that's really going to depend person to person. Another benefit is very much kind of yoga geeky but if you're into yoga and you want to improve your back bends and you want to improve your upper body strength um suspension training is really really powerful specifically because you can hang back in like an urdhva done or asana full wheel pose. And you can hang there and grab your ankles and you could easily hang there. Even even beginning students can hang there for a minute, two minutes, five minutes. And it allows you to open in a passive way that you couldn't normally do on the floor. Normally on the floor, a full wheel pose, is, it takes quite a bit of exertion. And when you do it on the trapeze, you can do different variations and you can do them passively. So it's particularly effective for opening your your thoracic and your 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 cervical spine, your chest and your middle back where people get really blocked. And so the flexibility and strength aspect is is really an interesting benefit. One of the things that's missing in terms of functional fitness from a yoga practice is a pull motion. This is just something that humans are designed to do is pull stuff. And in yoga practice, we're really good at push and we're really good at Hold, but where we don't have any pull motions, just because there's nothing functionally that we can pull, and so the yoga trapeze brings that natural human pull motion back into practice, which has tremendous benefits, specifically in terms of balancing out the musculature.
0: And when you say a pull motion, I'm thinking almost of like doing a crunch or something where you're climbing the the rope in the gym. Is that kind of what you mean by pull? Just to clarify. Yeah.
1: So. When we look at fitness, there's lots of things that, do, that people do that make you look good but have no purpose. So like a bicep curl will make your bicep bulge. But how many times in your life have you picked something up off the desk and just kind of curled it up? You just don't do it. It's not really a functional move. But if we look at functional movements in life, anybody living in any kind of natural setting, let's say it's a, a tribe living in the Amazon or whatever it is, part of their daily activity will include push, Hold and pull. So let's imagine they're pushing a, 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 a pushing an animal that you know maybe it's a horse that's stuck and they need to push the horse, and then they need to hold. So maybe they're blocking a, a, a door from falling over, or they're holding a, a beam in place. That's hold. And the pull motion, you would see that anytime somebody lifted a child up off the ground, anytime they were dragging something along the ground, that's just a natural pull motion. And as a functional fitness movement, it's really important and it's. It's lacking in, in yoga classes because we don't have anything to drag around. There's no heavy stuff to pick up. Um, our body, of course, we pick up, but we do that primarily from pushing the floor away. So it brings that back in and people find that in many cases, they're, uh, you know, they have these trigger points or muscle imbalances in their middle or upper back. And a lot of times, just by adding some basic musculature, a lot of that can go away.
0: That's such a cool way to look at it. I don't think I'd heard that before. That's, that's really fun, the, the pull, push hold. I like that. Um, there's a couple other you know, just to, to share a little bit with my, my experience. I know that when I was doing my training and you know first starting to go upside down as a new yogi um, back when I was first starting yoga that, one of the big benefits I found, and I think you kind of touched on this, but was just it really helped me change two things. One, it really helped me change my perspective. You know, I think it's like if you, if you just need a quick uh, change of perspective or you're kind of right in a bad mood, going upside down and just literally seeing the world from a different angle can be really powerful and really helpful. And then the second thing I remember that was really huge for me was that going upside down and starting an inversion practice for me was so much about overcoming fear because I had so much fear. You know, restarting um, yoga as a late teen or in my, my early 20s, I had a huge dance background, but not a gymnastics background. And it felt really scary to go upside down. And I started to realize that the value of the inversion practice beyond just some of the physical things we talked about was really so much about me overcoming my own internal resistance and just a lot of fear and blocks I had in my own life at the time. And I'm just curious, I mean, for your students, do you, do you have people who come in who are really frightened and how do you sort of help someone through something like that?
1: Yeah, I don't know that there's any one strategy, but for sure people are always afraid of The one thing that I always emphasize is just the fact that all of what I teach and all of what most studios teach is very learnable. I think people get intimidated because they go on Instagram or Facebook and they see there's just tremendously gifted, physically amazing people right now doing stuff that is genuinely scary and it's never going to work for most people. But whether we're talking about a headstand or a handstand at the wall or inverting on a yoga trapeze or any kind of inversion device... Everyone can learn that. We have people who weigh 350 pounds. We have people who are 80 years old. We have you know, the kids, of course, that It takes them about two seconds to learn how to do it. But anybody can really learn it. So I just always approach it that way. I just always tell the story of someone who is exactly like them, whether it was the same age or the same body type or whatever, Let's walk them through step by step. The reality is, though, when you do start doing inverted practices for the first time, People do sometimes get lightheaded. They do sometimes get dizzy and they might even feel nauseous. It goes away really quickly what changes something, equilibrium in your ears or who knows what it is. But um, again, just being open to the fact that, hey, the first time might not feel amazing, but you can build up to it surprisingly quickly. Most people can learn a headstand. Even if they've never done yoga, most people can learn a headstand in about six weeks. And on a yoga trapeze, usually by the end of the first class, people are doing all kinds of stuff they never thought they would do.
0: Cool. And then I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm curious on your perspective on this. So would you say that it's safer for someone to use something like the yoga trapeze because they're putting no pressure on their joints as compared to trying to learn a headstand against the wall? Because in that case, someone could you know, hurt something in their cervical spine or just if they're, they're less experienced. Because it seems with, when we take the practice to the aerial level, right – as you say, all of a sudden, all this decompression is happening, and there's no pressure on the joints. So do you sort of advocate that people um, focus on aerial inversions as opposed to regular inversions? I mean, what does your own inversion practice look like? Because I just can see how you might think, you know, why put ever put pressure on your joints if you don't have to? So if you can just always invert hanging from the air, why ever do a normal headstand? Um, so yeah, I'm curious to just hear your, hear your thoughts on all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting turn of events that's happened in yoga and just in the past three to five years, maybe maybe seven years there's been this big emphasis on the dangers and a lot of fear has been really spread in the yoga community. And um, I always say, you know, like I can I can insure my entire yoga studio, you know, uh, all my clients and all my teachers for about $34 per month. So if this was a high risk activity, trust me, the insurance would not be that low. And so it's a really, really safe practice. Um, there's a lot of fear in and around inversions. And I think there is some justification to it. You have a lot of people out there teaching who are new to teaching, new to practice, they got a ton of energy and they make some mistakes. With headstand, the big mistake that people make is they go to the wall and everybody goes to the wall and you can never go to the wall. It's a terrible idea. Going to the wall basically allows you to use a prop to screw up your neck. If people learn headstand in the middle of the room, uh, they never go too far. And so I've, I teach headstand in every class I've ever taught in my life. I've taught it to 90-year-old people who are doing yoga for the first time and super obese, overweight people. I teach it to everybody, but I teach it in stages. And again, it takes about six weeks to learn. You learn it step by step and you absolutely don't go up your first time and the teacher should not be helping you up your first time. You have to learn to balance yourself. Um, I don't think it's a dangerous pose. I know a lot of people say it's dangerous, but again, a lot of that danger comes from people running over to the wall, Kicking, the, jumping kicking and up, jump,
0: that's what I was going I mean, when I yeah, see people exactly. kicking up into yeah, headstand crazy. on the wall, it's I crazy. just get so frightened. So listeners, don't kick up into headstand. <laughs> um, you kick into handstand, but not into headstand. <laughs> um, it's just really not safe. Okay, so you you think a traditional inversion practice, as long as it's practiced safely and in the center of the room with the teacher, is still something you do it's not like you're just you know if you can go upside down that's the only or if you can do aerial that's the only thing you'd ever do you think there's value in in both
1: it's very different it's very different so the the, people don't realize the shoulder girdle strengthening and healing properties of a headstand and a forearm stand forearm stands a little bit too heavy for most people so they need to start with a a headstand, but it's incredibly, incredibly good for your rotator cuff. One of the m- most common treatments at home, sort of uh, physical therapy rehab treatments, is kind of like a, well, I guess you would call it a dolphin pose at the wall. Mm-hmm. So imagine, imagine, imagine you're in a down dog, drop your elbows to the ground and then bring your hands together. And now do that at the wall. That's what people teach. If you can do it on the ground, better. If you can do a forearm stand, amazing. Most people can't, so you do a headstand. And it's just really, really great. If you've ever had rotator cuff inflammation or anything, it's just, it's, it's a really amazing miracle pose. So there's huge benefits. You also strengthen your neck, which is actually really helpful. Or preventing injury provided you learn it slowly and you learn it carefully but um, so I think everybody should learn inversions handstand despite the fact it's actually the safest inversion because as long as you keep your arms going to come down but you're not uh, you're not going to land on your neck which is which is helpful but I, I encourage everybody to learn inversions but learn them learn them slowly don't be in a rush everybody wants to stick their feet up in the air
0: yeah one of my favorite fun facts about handstand and hopefully I'm correct about this is that you also it's one of the few poses that you don't need to be warm to do or at least that's what I've learned because you can just kick up into it. And so even if you're in the middle of the day or just want a quick study break, um, you know, it, it doesn't require that you have a 60 minute class of, you know, your muscles being really warmed up under your belt. So it's just a great way to change your perspective and get some energy. Um, just because I think people are going to be really curious about this. Is there a particular order that you suggest people learn the inversions in? I mean, like, starting with handstand for example if we're saying that's the safest or is it really unique to each individual person i just think people will really be curious to know your thoughts on sort of the order if they want to start with an inversion practice at home right now kind of what's your suggested flow
1: yeah so i mean the forearm stand my my inversion practice is essentially just three poses it's it's and handstand and of those three um uh, uh, a handstand is the safest but it's also it demands quite a lot of musculature and so a lot of people tremble and shake and get pretty sore and so i'd for sure encourage you to play around with that go to a wall you know like you said you don't even need to be warmed up just go kick kick up to the wall and see how that feels uh just make sure you know you're within about a foot of the wall maybe even closer if you can manage so that you don't throw your your spine into extension or anything like that but that's That's a pretty safe one to play around with and people have a good time. But for the most part, I mean, the the forearm stand is such a powerful pose, but it takes a a bit of doing to learn. That's a, that that pose doesn't come as quickly, but anyone can learn a headstand, any size, any age, in about six weeks, as long as you take it really, really slowly and you go step-by-step and you spend literally days, if not weeks, it's like a down dog with your head on the floor and you're finding your balance. There should be no kicking, no bouncing, no nothing. When you go up into headstand, you just lift your feet up and they go up and it takes a little bit of practice. But I'd encourage anybody who's serious about you learned how to do a headstand. It's worth learning. Take the time. Do it slowly. Never use a wall. Never go fast. If you can't go all the way up, totally fine. But uh, take the time. It's, it's a great pose. It's a really powerful pose to have in, in your toolkit.
0: And let's go over the best prep poses for people to start working on this. So obviously, I'm imagining, or from the way I would teach, right, is like plank, uh, dolphin, right? These are all good preparatory inversion poses. Are there some other ones that you'd suggest people focus on if they're just working up to, to this?
1: Yeah, headstand's a funny one um, because you have, you have a couple of things. You have very little strength. Uh, It's mostly just balance. It's balance of very, of muscle systems and things that you've never used before and then you're upside down to amplify. So more than anything, it's just finding your balance. And this is why people are able to learn it more quickly than perhaps sticking a handstand in the middle of the room. That usually doesn't happen in six weeks, but people can learn to do a headstand. So for sure, all the strengthening poses help a dolphin, a downward dog. Um, nobody ever wants to say this, but push-ups are really, really helpful for any kind of inversion pose. I know that's like very fitnessy, but guess what? It works. So uh-huh. push push ups are great um, and a lot of people you know a lot of yoga students they can't do a push up and they're wondering why they're struggling with a handstand it's like you know what it's fine do some push ups and uh, so that can be really helpful but also you know there are poses I always say there are poses that demonstrate and then poses that develop the pose so an example would be lotus pose if you want to learn lotus pose it's a really bad idea to do lotus pose it doesn't develop flexibility it doesn't develop mobility it demonstrates with headstand it's actually a really good developmental pose provided you do it in the middle of the room provided you never jump bounce kick your legs at all and you have Good instructions here on the right part of your your head, which for most people is right around their hairline. Um, And you're moving nice and nice and slowly. It's actually a really good developmental pose, so doing the pose is a good way to learn the pose. But all the poses you mentioned, too, are really good prep poses. So things like a dolphin, any kind of plank pose, any kind of sun salutes, all of those will help to build some upper body strength that's helpful as well.
0: Yeah, an l shaped handstand against the wall is a really great one. And guys, if you're listening, I do have a video on YouTube that's a handstand tutorial, and I don't have a headstand wand, but definitely take a look at the handstand wand if you guys want to play around with with some of this. Um, I, I There's a, a thought just popped into my mind and then left, so I'll, maybe I'll circle back, but I know there was one other thing that I wanted to ask you about when it comes to, to all these inversions. Oh, I remember it was, um, you're talking about doing the the headstand in the center of the room and I remember what was really scary for me and I'm imagining this might be relevant to some of our listeners is that when you learn that way you have to also learn how to fall right because it's very likely that you'll roll out of headstand right so do you do you have any tips for people around that because I remember for me that was the scariest scariest part
1: (laughs) yeah so there's a couple of things you know if you're if you're doing it and fallen over, you're not trying hard enough. And so falling over is normal. Um, the first thing is make sure you take off your rings. Um, if you're wearing rings and you fall out of a headstand, you can really kind of mess up your fingers as they squish, especially if you have any kind of stone or any kind of sharp edges on your ring. So make sure you're not wearing any rings. And I'd encourage you to take off bracelets as well. The other thing with uh, with a headstand, if you're practicing slowly and you're practicing carefully, you should only roll back to your feet. It's pretty rare when you roll over your head. In most cases, again, somebody's bouncing, they're jumping around, and once in a while somebody might take a tumble. But, uh, yeah, that for me was always the fear, the time. was rolling yeah. over
0: my head. And I remember my teachers told me, if that happens, I need to tuck my chin into my chest um, yeah. and then just yeah, go with the motion instead of fighting it. Is is that kind of what you... <laughs> tell people to the,
1: the, when you're practicing a headstand, if you're doing it in the middle of the room and you're practicing slowly and carefully, you shouldn't have to fall over when you're doing a uh, forearm stand or handstand and you're practicing in the middle of the room everyone's going to topple. Everyone's going to go over the top, right? That's just part of the practice. But with headstand, you don't have to. So be careful, take your time. You don't have to. But as Brett mentioned, if it does happen, you would want to just tuck your chin and just kind of let it happen. When people freeze up, that's when you hear the big clump flap in the middle of the room and somebody lands flat on their back. People generally don't get hurt, but it makes you kind of belly flop, you back flop onto the floor and it it sounds pretty miserable. So um, for the most part, try not to fall.
0: Yeah. When you're going with the flow and you're falling like that i mean it also to me when i was learning was really powerful because i was studying so much again yoga philosophy at the time and it's you know if you fear and if you tense up that's actually more harmful and just like so much of yoga teaches us it's like if you're falling you need to go with that and be in the flow right and be with your body and you know just trust that everything's going to be okay when you sort of roll out of that headstand in the center of the room um and i i think there's just so much about inversions that teach us so much about you know, conquering our own fears and um, seeing things from a different perspective and really being present. So that's why hopefully everyone listening will be more motivated after this podcast to experiment a little bit with an inversion practice. And as I mentioned, the the last thing I wanted to ask you was a little bit about inversions and anti-aging. So Lucas, I want to share with you something one of my teachers shared with me, and see what your thoughts are because i thought this concept was so so cool and what he shared was that one of the big reasons inversions are so beneficial um all the reasons that you went over but he also talked about how you know your heart is constantly pumping blood to your brain and then your brain you know tells your body to move your hand or move your feet or whatever and then when we invert um we're making that process easier because of your heart instead of your heart pumping the blood up to your brain, gravity is working in its favor because your head is below your heart. Um, and that because of this, your heartbeat actually slows down when you do inversions. And if you think of a lifetime as being a certain fixed number of heartbeats, right or we all have so many heartbeats in our life, when you invert and you slow your heartbeat down that way, you really are perhaps extending the number of heartbeats, that you have. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? And, um, do you agree with my teacher when he was sharing this with me? Cause I thought it was just the coolest concept.
1: I I definitely agree with the heartbeat theory. You know, I think there's pretty good clinical data to back that up. You know, you, you know, measuring your age, the old yoga axiom is that, you know, you're not as old as your years. You're as old as how many breaths you've taken, which is probably more accurately saying how many, how many times your heart has beat because uh, those two are, are, are correlated but not not necessarily causal in terms of their relationship, and so that's true. The only caveat would be when people first start learning inversions, their heart pretty much races, and so because <laughs> they're nervous, they, right? <laughs> they're, yeah, they're nervous and they're trying way too hard. Like we like we mentioned, uh, a headstand actually doesn't take hardly any muscular energy; it's just balance and uh, you know stacking your stacking your bones essentially. But initially, people's heart will race, and I, li- I like to put heart monitors. I'm into this quantified self geeky stuff, and a lot of people will peak; they'll they'll, they'll go over hundred Inversion, and so in that case, it actually becomes kind of a kind of aerobic. But once you get into it, of course, they can be really really, uh, they can slow your heart down pretty dramatically. Um, so I don't know, I, I don't, I don't like to make big claims with yoga. I know there's a lot of people saying yoga cures cancer and these kinds of things. I know it's really good for you. I know that there's some interesting research about, you know, you know, in terms of, uh, improving your mood. And I think there's some interesting thing with telomeres in terms of your DNA and these sorts of things, but will it, will, will doing inversions make you live longer? I hope so. Cause I'm doing lots of them, but I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah. And with the anti-aging thing too, again, I have no data to back this up, but I just think, you know, wrinkles are gravity, right? With your skin going down. So even if you just spend a little bit of time upside down every day, that's gravity in the opposite direction. So I like to think that it helps, (laughs) but you know, whatever, whatever gets you going. Um, I would love for you now to tell us more about the yoga trapeze and how people can get one, how they can connect with you and stay in touch, because I know you also have your own podcast. So tell us a little bit about the yoga trapeze and and how people could get involved in that if they're interested.
1: Sure, thanks. So yeah, we manufacture yoga trapezes. We're probably, well, we're definitely the largest manufacturer of inversion devices in the world for whatever uh, you can check them out if you go to yogatrapeze.com. We ship all over the world except to a couple of countries where we can't get things to, to delivered. But usually a week we're shipping to 30 or 40 countries. So we ship all over the place there. We also have a $1 trial, which is kind of popular just because people are like, hey, I don't know if this thing's for me. So we let people try it for 30 days for a dollar. So it's been, it's been really, really helpful for getting more people upside down. Um, so that's that in terms of, I have a podcast called the yoga talk show. And if you just go to yoga talk that'll reroute you over to my show. And we geek out on nutrition and movement and healing and rehab and all the kinds of things we've been talking about today.
0: That's great. And my next question for you is because I have a yoga trapeze and I was actually first introduced, um, or one of the big motivators for me in, 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 becoming interested in releasing, as you said, this decompression of the spine when you're supported upside down came from trying an inversion table. And if those of you who don't know, an inversion table is very large. It's pretty much as big as a massage table and you strap yourself in and then you can go upside down. And I absolutely loved it. One of the most interesting things for me when I tried it was that going all the way upside down was nice, but I actually loved just being at sort of a... 45 degree angle leaning back because just you can feel all your blood kind of slosh back, all the organs relax. Um, And I was just hooked. What's really cool about the yoga trapeze though is that it doesn't take up space like that huge, huge, huge inversion table would. Um, It literally just kind of folds into this little bag, I know because I have one, and then you take it out Um, but my question for you, Lucas, is how do you safely hang it? And I know there's a lot of instructions, but I know when I was first getting it, that was my number one concern. And I was just like, how can I safely hang this? Because again, there is that fear factor, right? If it's, if I don't, I trust the trapeze, but can I trust my own ability to (laughs) hang it up properly so I don't land on my head, um, can you just give us a couple quick pointers just so if people, you know, jump on your offer, they they have a little bit of a head start to overcoming that that fear of having to set it up themselves?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know it's a great question. Over over the years, we this is probably one of our number one questions. We've tried all kinds of things. We have a couple of new solutions, which I'll talk about. But one of the more challenging things is people just have different setups. And so where I am here in Europe, we have these massive, big doors, you know, just huge doors with old, old, strong wood. So it's very easy in most people's apartments here to mount them. We usually use uh, hooks from Ikea. If you go to Ikea, they have in the kids section, they have these hooks. You can get them on Amazon. They just cost $7 or something like that. And We'll often use those for mounting with that setup. In the U.S., it's a little bit different because uh, construction of homes is usually with wood, and the doors are usually a little bit lower, and so and a little bit more narrow. And so we have a new thing called the yoga trapeze door mount bar, which is basically an extendable bar. I have one. I'm looking at one here in my office, um, which doubles as a pull-up. is really great for your for taking a break when you're working. But um, it's it basically extends between your door frame, and you can mount it on your door frame. It's also if you don't want a, a bar hanging in your door all the time, you can just pop stay on the edges. So that's another option. We have a lot of people who use them on their in their garage or their porch. So again, in North America, a lot of people, a lot of garages have exposed beams. So it'd be like a two by four crossing the Crossing the garage, that could be a way. People have um, like a porch or a terrace where it's high enough up the ground that they can hang them from. A lot of people go to the park and they hang them from trees. You have to kind of strategically find a branch that's more or less straight. Otherwise, you have to adjust the ropes. But that's surprising. It's easier than you'd think. And then the last option is people will go to a park and hang them from a swing set, which is really, really effective and simple mm, is you just kind of push idea. push the swings aside and, and hang from there. So um, if, you, if you go to Instagram and just search uh, hashtag yoga trapeze, you'll see people hanging with all kinds of different uh, setups around the world.
0: Well, I'm going to very much try to do a little YouTube video of me using the yoga trapeze. That has been a goal of mine for a long time. So cool. I will definitely try to do that. And Lucas, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with all of us. And, you know, I look forward to, to keeping in touch. And I've had such a pleasure chatting with you.
1: Yeah, it sounds great and happy to be here. Thanks for the questions. And if anybody wants to get in touch with us, just stop by our site at yogabody.com. And we're always here. We're always happy to help.
0: Perfect. And I'll put the links to everything below the, the podcast as well. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and joining me all the way to the very end. Make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. You've downloaded my app full of free yoga classes that also has episodes of this podcast right in the app. Jump over to brettlarkin.com, get my free 18 days of awesome yoga jumpstart if you haven't done that already and start integrating, stretching into your day-to-day routine for real always be stretching.com. Remember you can tweet to send requests or questions about the show to at Larkin yoga TV. And it would mean so much to me if you shared this podcast with a friend. Since you're here with me till the very, very end, I also wanted to invite you to join my private Facebook group where I talk about hacking yoga and meditation into my daily life and give you ideas on how you can do the same, sharing things that I usually just don't feel comfortable putting on YouTube or my public page. Just go to yogahackscommunity.com, all one word, yogahackscommunity, and click Request Access to Join. Until next time, remember, always be doing yoga, always be stretching.